is it true that you can leap over a chair from a standing position? It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The big electron, the big electron. So I have cheated very badly, you see. Of course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on. I think it's time to blow this thing, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great show for you tonight. Let's get right to it. All right, welcome to The Big Electron. I'm Jackie. I'm Anahita. And I'm Madeline. Thanks for listening, and today we have a really cool show prepared for you. I think so. We're pretty excited about it. Yeah. So today with us, um, we have Dwayne Chapman from um, the USGS, so that is... The U.S. Geological Survey, right? That's the S? That's correct. Right. From the Columbia Environmental Research Center. That's correct. Just down the road from us. Yeah, and you have been studying a really interesting aspect of um, nature here in Colombia, which is actually an invasive species, uh, the Asian carp, correct? Right. The the Asian carps are actually several species of fish, and four of them in the United States are fish that we call Asian carps. Hmm. Okay, so before we get into that, could you just really quickly tell us what is an invasive species? Okay, an invasive species, you know, there, there, there are more than one definition, but what we go by in the USGS is basically the one that Bill Clinton told us to use uh, back in the, uh, because we're federal employees. And an and uh, invasive species to us is a fish that uh, establishes and spreads and is undesirable. Either it causes damage or, um, Really, it's a fish that causes problems or an organism that causes problems is an invasive species. Hmm. I mean, fish can, or other species can actually invade without getting the moniker invasive species. If Or if they're not native, they don't necessarily become, quote unquote, invasive. A lot of things are not native and we don't consider them problematic in most of, most of our food crops, for example. Hmm. So they spread so quickly. Quickly, am I right? Because um, a lot of times, like the other members of the environment, don't necessarily know how to control them. That, that's the that's the thing. And very often, when you have an invasive species, it's um, the the native organisms just kind of don't know how to deal with it. And uh, you can have certain the worst invasive species are ones that have some sort of uh, ability or power that that uh, Kind of gives them a, a leg up on everybody else, mm-hmm. and um, in some cases you have plants that uh, put out a toxin into the soil, so the other tr- plants can't live around them. For example, um, and that's just one example of problems that invasive species sometimes have. Or uh, we were just talking a while ago about the uh, emerald ash borer, uh, which is a invasive insect, and we are losing our ash trees in the United States. Most of our ash trees probably will be gone in a few years. Whoa. And we have lost uh, already the, our elms, um, that our elms used to be the, the uh, 
big tree of of that was spreading across you know so many suburban neighborhoods in the past and you know they had all these elm lined uh Mm-hmm. suburbs and mm-hmm. uh those elms are all gone now mm-hmm. because of the another invasive disease and uh before that it was chestnuts we lost all of our american chestnuts uh-huh. um and so we're losing a lot of different trees from due to problem invasives wow hmm. so how did you get into science in general in the first place well um for me it was because i have I've always been fascinated by fish ever since I got done with dinosaurs, you know, <laughs> I knew I was going to do something with fish. I didn't know really what either I was going to farm them. Uh, I was going to do something though with fish. And I've just been fascinated by fish since I was a kid. And it, this is what, where it fell out. Um, I really was planning and um, I was doing, doing college and doing aquaculture, farming fish. Hmm. And, uh, that by things just sort of happened. I ended up, uh, um, working in research, uh, and it's uh, it's been good. It's been I love it. I really do enjoy science, and I enjoy the the uh, aspect of discovery. And there's nothing. Um, there's very few things in the world that are that are more exciting than to really understanding a new concept and then having that concept be useful mm-hmm. in some way that people can make their lives better. Absolutely. So how did you get into um, studying invasive species? Well, um, I've always had this big interest in Asian carps just because they're cool fish. I mean, they really, they're really large, which is also, you know, really attractive <laughs> to most fish guys. And uh, they just, we, everybody likes a big fish. And, uh, but this, the Asian carps in particular, um, they have some really unique skills, kind of these little abilities that most other fish don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, that makes it, uh, made them always really, really interesting to me. And so, uh, you know, I, I did some work back on Asian carps back in the 80s. And the first publication I ever had was on an Asian carp. And then I didn't have uh, funding for that kind of work for a long time, but I never got tired of, of uh, you know, of keeping a file on them and just read everything I could about them for uh, while I was doing other types of research for a good number of years. And then when the Asian carp uh, uh, problem kicked off uh, in the really about 2000 is when things started to really go south, when we started having a whole lot of Asian carp showing up in the Mississippi River Basin and the Illinois River Basin. Um, and things were really getting bad out there all of a sudden really fast. And, um, so, you know, that's when there was some funding available. And so I dove into that, uh, uh, my, uh, center director at that time gave me an opportunity to, to start a program on it and, uh, and the rest is history. So not to digress too far, but I'm really curious what, um, these features about Asian carp are that you find so fascinating. Well, the, we, the, there are four fish that we call Asian carps here in the United States. There's many Asian carps, right? Mm-hmm. But when we say Asian carps in the United States, we're talking about the grass carp, the black carp, and the big head carp, and the silver carp. And the, a lot of times when you say Asian carps, people, the general public are talking about big head and silver carp or even just silver carp because that's the one everybody knows about because silver carp is the one that jumps. And, oh. and so 
they there's a million YouTube videos of <laughs> people doing stupid things and uh, you know going to really dangerous things with carp. Yeah. Uh, where you know it's it's really not a great idea to go water skiing where oh. there's Asian carp because they will hit you wow. and they can be big and there are many broken jaws and uh, um, broken noses and they will break. Uh, stuff in your boat when they jump in and plus they bleed and poop all over everything when uh, they land in your boat it's not a fun thing uh and but people you know go out and because it's exciting and they'll run around and and get um and be, you know be pulled behind a boat in the presence of a bunch of asian carp and that's extremely dangerous i don't recommend it um but i'm convinced there's yeah. plenty of of uh, video clear. of it on the on the internet you can enjoy it that way if you want to watch somebody not being very smart uh, but the silver carp is that's the one everybody really knows about. There are three other species. Uh, the silver carp and the big head carp, and everybody knows about whales, right? You know, where they, they eat these tiny little things, even though they're really, really big mm-hmm. creatures. Yes. Well, this, this, and they do that by filter feeding. Uh, well, big head and silver carp are both filter feeders. The, mm. the silver carp feeds on a much smaller scale than the big head carp uh, does, but both of them eat really, really small stuff. Neither one of them would be able to swallow something a bigger, as big around as a number two pencil until wow. it gets to be quite large because they have this tiny little throat, you know, like everybody talks about the whale with the big animal with the tiny little throat. Well, they, but essentially they're fish that live pretty much the same way as the big filter feeding whales do, only they fe- live in fresh water and they don't get as big as whales, but they, they'll get fairly large. Um, the And then there's the grass carp, which is really one of the few in freshwater, maybe the only really almost entirely vegetarian fish. Huh. And it eats uh, aquatic wet vegetation or terrestrial vegetation if it floods or blows into the, mm-hmm. um, to the, into the water. But it, it's, uh, they call it a grass carp because they eat grass if, the water, if they can get to it. They'll, uh-huh. um, they'll burrow into the banks and, and, uh, and eat the grass from the roots so you'd be, you can be watching them from the bank and, and they'll oh. see their tail in the water and their whole half their bodies up underneath the bank. And the, and the grass is disappearing just... <laughs> down below like it like it was a gopher or something down there pulling it down huh. like a like Bugs Bunny cartoons. <laughs> that sounds uh, so interesting to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then there's the black carp, which has enormous teeth back in its throat. Ooh. And uh, the the black carp is the one that has. Uh, it's really just now starting to get a foothold, and you know we're fairly confident now that the black carp is established and going to be the next black uh, next Asian carp that's going to be, you know, uh, out mm-hmm. there in fairly large numbers. But as, is, as of right now, it's still very rare. But that, unfortunately, you know, well, in the United States, we have the most diverse mussel population in the whole world. We have many, many, many species of freshwater mussel. Unfortunately, about 75% of those species are either threatened or endangered because they, mm-hmm. a lot of them have really small home ranges, Mm-hmm. And there aren't many individuals of any one of these species left. And to some extent, that's because of water quality issues and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, habitat change and that sort of thing. Um, but um, but we have, right now, we're trying to protect these mussels because there's there's really not very many of them left. Another thing that's really hurt these mussels in, in a lot of cases is the zebra mussel because mm-hmm. the invasive zebra mussel will cover their shells and uh, and so that they can't breathe. And or or filter feed themselves, and so the you know so we have all these these mussels that are in big decline. Well, the black carp is a molluscivore, and that means it eats mussels, um, <laughs> mussels and snails and that sort of thing. 
and uh, it, you know, it uh, is probably the most efficient for molluscivore in freshwater. So we have dropped in the most efficient molluscivore in freshwater on the most endangered mussel oh. population in the world. It's just a recipe for disaster. That's not a good thing. Uh, right. And so that that's something that's, um, we expect to see more and more black carp. We have seen more black carp this year uh, by far than any other year in, in the past. Uh, I think this year we've probably got a, been about 100 of them captured in the Missouri region, uh, either in Missouri or across the river in Illinois. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I don't think we've had in a year previous when we've seen more than 25. Hmm. Wow. So, so what, do, what do you do? Um, what's, what's your research on? Like, how do you conduct research on invasive species, more specifically on Asian carp? Uh, well, you know, everything I do is focused on actually having some benefit, you know, to the, to the taxpayer at some point or, or another. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, it's really, I find these fish really interesting and it's, it's, you know, to me, it's a lot of things I could do, uh, research on that would be interesting, but it's not, you know, what it's all about. We we're trying to, to find things that will either control these fish or give us some handles on their life cycle so that we can come up with ways to control the fish. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to do some research just on, you know, know thy enemy kind of thing, just mm -hmm. so you have an idea of what you're combating. Um, but uh, but this is all about, really, in the end, we hope to have some uh, better ways to manage these fish. If not, uh, in the Mississippi River Basin, I think it would be really remarkable uh, if we were able to ever get rid of these fish. But mm. the... Uh, we can probably come up with some ways to manage the fish. We do manage fishes of all kinds, and there are probably things we can do to minimize the undesirable effects of these species. And, for example, one of the projects I'm just beginning this year is with black carp. Black carp have these huge teeth and extremely strong jaws way back inside the throat, mm -hmm. and they can crush hard objects that almost nothing else can, can crush. And so we're designing a bait that mm. uh, it's almost impossible to crush unless you happen to be a black carp. Wow. Um, so, so we can take this bait. The idea is that we, when we get this developed, we'll have a bait that we can deploy around in, endangered mussels so that if the black carp move into those areas, they will get the bait. Hmm. And another uh, aspect, too, is if, they, if this bait, you know, if we don't come up with a better bait than the mussel itself, one of the things we could do would be to glue a really, really thin capsule of glass containing a, a fish toxicant right uh -huh. onto the actual endangered mussel. And then wow. if they got one, you know, that's one of the things we're considering. But nobody's doing that yet. It takes a lot of research before you can get to the point where you can deploy a tool like that in a, uh, an effective way. We can't just go out and start doing stuff in the field and maybe do more damage than, we, you know, than, we, than positive effect. But, uh, but you know, that's one of the strategies that we're working on right now. So could you go into a little bit more detail about how do you survey fish? How do you know that Asian carp is increasing in population? Or uh, Well, uh, going back to the black carp, uh, one of the things we're doing, there's actually a reward right now for black carp. This is something that people can do if they, mm -hmm. if, is find out to learn what these fish look like. And... Um, 
If you find out what black carp are like, look like, and you actually catch one out there, there's a hundred dollar reward. Oh, uh, nice. so per fish. So wow. Uh, wow. Um, Was there a limit on that? <laughs> uh, there's a, a limit in the. There's a total cash amount mm -hmm. that once all that money's gone, there's no more uh, okay. award. But as long as that money exists, um, hmm. it's there. You, and there's one fellow who's probably made about two thousand dollars this year <laughs> wow. nice. catching black carp. So. What's he using for bait, and does that like help you figure out what the blackfish or the what the black carp, carp like? Uh, yeah, and we're learning a lot from the fish that this guy has has uh, <laughs> given us, and and the the guy's a commercial fisherman, uh -huh. so that's how he's catching these fish. Nobody okay. has ever caught one on hook and line yet. Oh, mm -hmm. and so the other thing is, if you go out and, and hook and line one of these things, and I did try to hook and line one the other day <laughs> and didn't get one. I, the uh, but we went out hoping to to fish for them. Uh, it's been about a month or two ago, I guess, and um, but we didn't catch any. Um, but the you know they're still fairly uncommon out there. And but he's been fishing, and you know this summer he was getting probably uh, one or two a week, and and wow. um, so the but what we what we're getting from those fish, we're taking uh, DNA from the fish so we can estimate. We get enough samples from the DNA, we can estimate population size, uh, huh. and by just the diversity of the DNA, mm -hmm. uh, we're trying to get. Um, a lot of these fish are small that he's catching, not big. They, the black carp will get to be over 150 pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but a lot of the fish that have been caught so far are smaller. You know, they're couple, maybe three or four pounds. And so we have some idea what they eat when they're really big, but we don't really know what these little ones eat, and we don't know where they live. And so we're, he's reporting to us where he's catching the fish. We You know, we're, he's um, and we're using, we're collecting uh Aging, aging growth data off of the fish. We know how fast they're growing, how soon they're, uh, how long it takes for the fish to become mature. Um, the we hope to be able to uh, decipher in the future if there are different populations of them out there. Is it just you know they all how mm -hmm. much they move around? Can we potentially, while they're still, uh, you know, maybe at some point down the line we might be able to bring them to us, and while they're still. Uh, uh, small enough in number to have a big effect on their population that's a that's a dream but it's possible um that just sounds like an awesome form of citizen science yes yes yeah. so it's a and if if you do catch a black carp uh, uh you know it, it there are some the you know you, you should try to make sure you know what a black carp is they look <laughs> uh a lot like actually like a blue sucker um mm -hmm. but uh, they don't have the really long fin on the back of the fish. Uh, so you look up a blue sucker or you can find the pictures of black carp on the internet. Um, but those of you who have known what a blue sucker is, which is a, a threatened species in Missouri, oh. um, the, they look a lot like those fish, but they, the, the blue sucker has a really long fin on its back and the, the black carp doesn't. Interesting. Cool. So do we know how the invasive species got here? Like carp, um, got here to Missouri or the Mississippi River? Yeah, um, we pretty much know how all of the four species came in. Uh, the grass carp were actually imported back in the 60s. They, these fish, um, they're incredibly important worldwide as food fishes, right? Mm. But especially in China where they're native. And they, you know, these are some of the most important uh, food fishes in China. And Part of the reason for that is they they became back in the 60s we 
they figured out how to spawn the fish and, and grow them in aquaculture. And they were, because of the way they feed and have these different uh, feeding arrangements, they were able to grow more fish in a, in a per acre or in a pond than anybody else. And so everybody wanted to get on that bandwagon mm-hmm. and, and start growing a whole lot of fish. And they didn't really think about it too much here in the United States in that most people in the United States really don't want to eat carp. Uh, but that, mm-hmm. uh, but that's, you know, that, that was a lot of the thought. But also uh, grass carp have been very successful biocontrol agents themselves. And many of the things that they're used to, con- that they control are actually also invasive, mm-hmm. non-native plants. Mm-hmm. Because like, they can, you can put grass carp into a pond, many people do here in Missouri, and they, you know, and they will control vegetation much better than, uh, and much less expensively than chemicals without putting chemicals into the environment. Um, so there's, you know, there's all kinds of good reasons to use grass carp. The problem is when they reproduce and get out of control and they're in places you don't want them. And then, you know, if you could just put them where you wanted them and make them stay there, they would be a wonderful boon. And they still, I think, grass carp, it's hard to say, you know, whether we're better off with them or without them. Um, but um, they, you know, there are certainly places where grass carp have been problematic in the United States and mainly due to overstocking of the fish. Um, the... But uh, so they were brought over f- partly f- for uh, food fish, but mainly just to control vegetation. And the black carp were brought over accidentally at the same time because um, they look a lot, a little bit like grass carp, and they kind of brought them over mm-hmm. at the same time by accident. And then they killed those ones, so they kind of dodged a the bullet. They accidentally killed them. <laughs> they said, hey, we got these cool new fish. What are we going to do with them? Then they killed them oh <laughs> by accident. And then so they had to go back and re- re-import them oh and on purpose. Oh. And the reason they, they brought them over, and again, it was uh, it, it's a biocontrol thing uh, where in aquaculture, in farms, you have a lot of problems with parasites in the fish you're trying to sell. Nobody really wants a filet with these grubs in the meat, Ew. right? You know, it's oh, kind of gross. gross. <laughs> and, and so... You know, that really decreases the value of the product if it's got grubs in it. So one way to get rid of those grubs is that the grubs have this strange life cycle that goes snail, uh, fish, bird, and back to snail. So you have your choices. If you can get rid of all the birds or all the snails, either one of those, then you don't have this grub and you can still have your fish, right? Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't really think it would be a good idea to go out and shoot all the blue herons. (laughs) So they... But the other way, nobody really cares if you remove all the snails from your pond. Sure. And so black carp are very, very good at removing snails from a pond. So they brought these sna- these black carp in, put them in the ponds, eat all the snails, no more parasites, voila. Uh, but the problem is that some of them got loose, and the uh, and they're out there in, in the water, and, and there's nothing to keep them from reproducing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they And then we go, to pl- and they get really big. You know, the people in, in our... In aquaculture, they never got very big. Well, the big head and silver carp were brought over a few years after that, after the grass carp were brought in in the early 70s. And and they were brought over, again, somewhat with the idea of being a food fish, but also as another biocontrol agent. for. And the EPA was involved in this, uh, some of the state agencies, uh, with the idea that you could take these fish and put them in aquaculture ponds and remove some of the algae that you don't want, mm-hmm. right? 
or because it can make your fish taste bad. You, know, oh. you get certain certain types of algae growing in your ponds, uh, blue green algae, and they make your fish taste bad, and you can't sell them. And the other thing is that they thought, hey, we can put these in sewage treatment lagoons, oh, wow. and we can control some of the effluent coming out of here will be will be better. And because they eat the algae, right, and they sure. eat the, the the stuff that's in the in that. And then the idea was also that you could eat the fish. Wow. But then they didn't. They said, uh, no, no, we're Maybe not going to let you eat any fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't really sell those fish coming out of sewage treatment lagoons. <laughs> and so then that um, lost a lot of its of its uh, um, glory there. And and so they, you know, they that really never took off. But they did do a lot of experiments with that. And then it was actually required in Arkansas for a while that that sewage treatment lagoons oh. would uh, from you know municipal sewage treatment uh, mm-hmm. facilities that is not lagoons um, would would have to stock these fish into their systems and there really wasn't a lot of control biosecurity back in the 70s for invasive species really wasn't a word mm-hmm. and so people just really weren't being that careful um, so the fish got loose the silver carp were caught from the wild probably within a year Ooh. of their original importation wow it didn't take very long. It sounds like they were brought over with the best intentions. It that's just right. wasn't executed in a way to control. Right. That. It, you know, that's been a case with a lot of invasive species that are they were brought in as biosecurity or biocontrol agents, and things didn't go the way mm-hmm. were planned. You know, the, in Australia they have these toads that were brought over to control uh, a bug. Mm-hmm. And then those, bu- it turns out those toads are really toxic. And when their native Ooh. predators eat the toads, they die. Ooh. So they're losing all their foxes, and, or not their foxes, but their, their marsupial predators mm-hmm. have been attacking these. And so it's the same. That's just one example. Um, in, you know, mongooses in, are also been in Hawaii, I think. Uh, but certainly in the oh. Pacific, they've been transported around to get rid of rats. Well, then they eat all the birds and everything yeah. else, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... It's it's this is a common thing that people bring in biocontrol agents without really vetting it well, mm-hmm. and so in this case it, with the the big head and silver carp it didn't really work out. You know, that another thing too you'll hear uh, that you know these fish all escaped from aquaculture in the flood ninety three flood, mm-hmm. and that's that's bogus that's not true mm-hmm. there really isn't any evidence that floods really played a big part in this. At, at all the fish were were out there in the wild fairly quickly after they were introduced and there's no evidence of floods i mean there there may have been some fish that were released in floods and it actually in 94 there was a big release of 30,000 big heads that escaped from during a flood flooded a bunch of ponds but by that time they were already established mm-hmm. and so it really probably wasn't that big of a deal compared to the number of fish already out there in the wild uh so it's it's a uh, you know Mainly, it's just an effort, a lack of effort to to, to realize that hey, we got a potential problem. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who had Asian carps back in those days in their facilities didn't think that they would be able to survive in the wild in the United States, mm-hmm. and so it really wasn't a big deal if they got loose. So, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, so um, are are we still bringing in bio um, control agents, and well, are we doing a better job of? vetting them now yes that's that, that is certain certainly something that's happened much better in the last 20 years or so even 30 years uh the people have gotten much much better at vetting biocontrol agents and so we're still doing biocontrol and there's been introductions of you know 
like a beetle that will that eats only uh, icornia crassites. What's it called? Water hyacinth. I couldn't think of the, <laughs> the, the common name for it. But the water hyacinth is probably the, one of the worst invasive plants in the world. Huh. It, it's really bad. It covers the water so you can't even get a boat across it, you know. And the, well, they, they've been introducing a little weevil that the only thing it eats is water hyacinth. So it really isn't going to be a problem. Because, but it took a, a lot of vetting to make sure that it only eats mm -hmm. water hyacinth. And, uh, the, uh, and there's some other things like that out there. But when you pick on a, a biocontrol, nowadays you have to go through lots and lots and lots of vetting to make sure that this thing is not going to be a bigger problem than, than the one you were trying to control in the first place. Hmm. So beyond mussels, what are some other species that are made vulnerable by the introduction of Asian carp? Uh, yeah, the, uh, for each of the different species, of course, has its own effects, right? Sure. Um, the, the grass carp is one, a lot of people think it maybe doesn't have the biggest effects. And a lot of, certainly that is the case in the big rivers of the, in, of the um, lower part of the United States, because those rivers don't really have a lot of vegetation in them to begin with. I mean, they're really, they're muddy, mm -hmm. not a lot of light penetration. And these fish really do change the environment, but they do it by removing vegetation. If there isn't any vegetation, they tend to survive and not really reach huge abundances. Um, but they'll eat terrestrial vegetation when it floods, and they don't really cause that much of a problem. But they can create a big problem in a place where you have vegetation. And certain kinds of fish like to spawn on vegetation. They don't live in the lower Mississippi River. But if you if they get into the Great Lakes, which they are now, we uh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, we published a paper that you know grass carp are now reproducing in Lake Erie, and Lake Erie is a place where we're trying to establish more vegetation, not less. Oh no! And yeah. so the, you know, and the other thing is that they'll change the vegetation because certain types of vegetation they don't like to eat. And so those will be the ones that, that yeah. So you and so that survive. also tends to be sometimes not the best kind of vegetation we want to have. Mm -hmm. um, so like uh, water lilies, you know, uh, that is American lotus uh -huh. um, is uh, one thing that grass carp just won't eat. And so American lotus is actually expanding in the Great Lakes right now. So, you know, that could be a problem and it might even be a result of the grass carp uh, huh. that are, that so are there. That wouldn't be considered an invasive species. What would now water lily be called? Is, is there a term uh, well, for... Well, this American lotus, I, I said water lily, oh, but yeah, I meant sorry. American lotus. Uh, but American lotus is a native one, right? right. so is there but like a But it still can term? be a nuisance, right? Ah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it's a nuisance because it's in places where it really wasn't before. And you just, uh, and that, you know, it's been described by one scientist I know as being a biological desert under these you know, these areas of, of just masses and masses of mm -hmm. American lotus. You know, the uh, it just goes on forever, mm -hmm. and there's nothing underneath it in terms of fish. Mm. Uh, so that habitat that used to have something in it that would be, you know, we would want to catch perhaps and or just want to be there, it's been changed. Now it's different. It may not be, it could still be beautiful. American lotus isn't an ugly plant necessarily. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's, but it's, it's changing different, the natural Changing balance. the natural habitat. And the, the big head and silver carp, what they do, mm -hmm. and they do quite well, is they they filter the organisms, the tiny, tiny stuff out of the water. Well, that has effects that, are, that radiate all over the place because you're changing the food chain down at its basic level. Mm -hmm. And almost all fish eat plankton when they're tiny. 
Okay. Mm. You know, with with very very few exceptions, you know, larval fish, tiny fish, eat plankton. So a lot of those those larval fish have to have food at the right time. If it's not there, they're not going to make it. Mm. Uh, the the fish that big head and silver carp tend to have the most effects on tend to be the ones that have um, their early life stages are out in the middle of the water column near the surface. And and so those fish, they're either competing with the big head and silver carp out there, or maybe they're even food of the big head and silver carp when they're tiny. Mm-hmm. And those fish include things like walleye. People like walleye. They really don't want those walleye to go away. Um, and another one is um, yellow perch, which is a very popular, important mm-hmm. species of those fish. Fishes with that kind of early life history are the ones that get hurt the worst. Mm. Um, another one that uh, that I seems like it's getting hurt pretty bad is crappie, uh, which is you know in place that's the fish that is really important here in Missouri. Yes. And crappie, when they're uh, you know a couple inches long, they're too big at that point to be eaten by a big head and silver carp. But they've got to they eat zooplankton, and they eat it out in the middle of the lake. When they're that size, they don't hang around the edges once they get to a certain size, and so they're out there competing with these big bruisers, you know, <laughs> uh, that eat all their food. Uh, so there seems like you know the the data coming in seems to me, yeah, they're they're having an effect on crappies, and then um, and then of course paddlefish is another one. Do you know what a paddlefish is? It's it's a one of these natural uh, one of these. Uh, Living fossils, right? It's related. Oh, oh uh, yes. It's a cartilaginous fish, kind of like a shark, mm-hmm. but it it's a filter feeder. Hmm. But it feeds so on. Now a, it has a comp. Now it has competition. Yeah, it has competition. And when you have, uh, you know, we did some research here in the ponds at the lab, and when we put uh, big head and silver, big head carp and paddlefish in ponds together, the paddlefish suffered. Mm-hmm. And so, and paddlefish are important fish here as sport fish, in in, the, in Missouri and across big parts of the central United States, they're really important fish. Um, so, and they get big. I mean, a hundred pound fish is important uh, and for, for sport fish and they do get to that size. And so that's a, you know, that's a real big pro- potential problem. The, in the Missouri river, we're not seeing big effects on paddlefish. We're not really certain why, but when we're seeing, uh, when we get the paddlefish in places uh, off channel, they seem to be really, they go, they get really sick and they basically starve to death or, oh, wow. you know, nearly so when they're, but they seem to be doing, they're finding something to eat mm-hmm. out in the Missouri River because they're not doing too bad in the Missouri River. But that in itself could have down the road consequences because right. if they're shifting their yeah. diet, then they may be stealing food from that's somebody right. else. That's right. We don't okay. really know exactly what's going on with that. One would expect that the paddlefish would be in much worse condition. Hmm. Uh, we don't know what's happening. Maybe they're eating baby Asian carp. Hmm. Oh. Wow. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, and if, if they're a living fossil, they've obviously been really good at this for a really long time. That's so right. maybe that's yeah, part of it. And we know that they're, they're in certain fighter. conditions, they really suffer in the presence of big head or silver carp. Huh. Uh, because, and, but paddlefish eat primarily the biggest thing in their diet. Everybody talk, you talk, And you ask any scientist that knows about fish and say, what does the paddlefish eat? And they say crustaceans, zooplankton. That means your, your copepods, your bigger, you know, animal uh, zooplankton. Okay. And, uh, the, and so one of the things we know about Asian carps is almost any time that you, in, that you introduce big head and silver carp 
to a n- new place, crustaceans, oil plankton practically disappear. Mm-hmm. We're down about 95% in the Missouri River over wow. pre existing numbers, right? The crustaceans, oil wow. plankton numbers are down that much. So, what are paddlefish eating? Yeah. <laughs> They've got to be eating something. They're not dying. Right. So, wow. uh, so, that just shows a little more uh, plasticity mm-hmm. uh, than mm-hmm. we really would have expected out of a fish that ancient. Mm-hmm. Wow. Kind of cool. Yeah, yeah that's that is really, really cool. cool. So, you've been talking throughout uh, the question and answer that we've been having about ways that we're looking at this or that you're looking at this and um, things to, to control the species or look at the biology of it um what are what are some of the other things that that you are doing or your team is doing um as far as control research or uh looking at more of the biology um of these invasive species one of the things we're working with right now we just finished the data collection phase of a project where um we're looking at native predators of asian carps sometimes you'll hear uh, in the media that, you know, there's, these fish have no natural predators here. Well, that's only true if by natural predator, you mean an Asian predator, right? Because, uh-huh. <laughs> but because our fish really eat big head and silver carp babies really well. If they happen to be in the right place, you know, they're, they're not, there's nothing special about a little, uh, little carp that doesn't make it, uh, they're apparently delicious because they're about <laughs> everything eats them. If they're, if they overlap in space, um, the the carp have a tendency to move into places where there really aren't a lot of predators. Uh, they're able to get away from them by moving into these off-channel habitats that are really sh- shallow. Um, and so one of the things we're looking at, for example, is, is what we could do to introduce predators into those habitats. Uh, when they're isolated from the Missouri River or wherever, you could take these predators and put them in there and native predators and maybe let them eat up the, the, the carp. Mm-hmm. And then the, when the that those wetlands where the babies and nursery areas reconnect to the river well now there's no more carp in them so they can't uh, do the, the the damage that they're doing so that's one of the things we're looking at we're trying to see what predators can can live in those kind of places and what kind of what native predators are would actually be effective in controlling the 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 young carp that's we just finished the data collection phase we've got a lot of number crunching to do um and uh, it's going to be a while before we actually publish this because we've got two years worth of data Um, but it's um it's really interesting Um, another thing that we're doing we're looking uh we just finished the project this year in the field uh where we're trying to to figure out where the fish where the larval fish will go where the young fish will go or where can they go and because this these early life phases you know that may be an Achilles heel for these mm-hmm. fish. Certainly some years we get really good reproduction of these small Asian carps. They're just incredible numbers of them. Other years we don't see it. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to get an idea of why that is. Uh, so if we can replicate those conditions or not let that happen. Mm-hmm. So whatever happens is you get these giant year classes of just millions of fish. Um, then you know, we can maybe stop that a little bit. And that's that's uh, one of the things we're working with, try to understand this life cycle. And so we've been doing light trapping all in this summer and trying to get an idea of how quickly the fish move, where could those nurse, what nursery areas are really at risk, where can mm-hmm. we find, the, what are the limitations on nursery areas and where how close, how quickly will they get to these different places. And, and the other thing is we know a lot about uh, the, the eggs and larvae 
of Asian carps, they spawn huge numbers of eggs. They're very, very fecund fish. They, they produce really, really large numbers of eggs. Hmm. Um, but in those eggs, they have to, to drift in the current. If they settle to the bottom, that's one of the things we've established here recently. It's bad for them. Hmm. They, you know, most of them will die if they get if they if they settle down. So they need to drift in the current. They need a river of a certain length, mm -hmm. and if the, and a certain turbulence it has to be fast enough, right? So in some places, like maybe in the Great Lakes, we have these where they're spawning in these smaller rivers. We might be able to do things like create a, a slow spot, mm -hmm. yeah, and that just... would cause the eggs to settle and they would die. That, we can't do that in the Illinois River, the Mississippi <laughs> River, but you know, the uh, but there are places, in, and in fact, we actually have done that to, to a great extent, in you know, serendipitously in the uh, in the Mississippi River, we have all these dams, right? Yeah. And as we've noticed, uh, that these fish have been really slow to move upriver and create populations further upriver. Now, some years the water flows through those dams, and there's really no, um, there's not. It doesn't slow down that much behind the, the dams. Okay. But other years it does. And we really haven't seen, you know, substantial recruitment. Some eggs and larvae have been caught um, upstream of there, but above about uh, the, the Missouri-Iowa border. And they haven't really, there's the odd big fish that gets caught way up there, all the way up into Minnesota. Um, but there are really not that many of them. And so part of the reason very likely is that these, all these little dams we have, and there's just all kinds of dams and for navigation. Well, we've probably made it difficult for those fish to reproduce in many of those pools because the pools are so short. Oh. And so, so if they spawn up below one dam, the eggs drift a little ways down mm -hmm. and they're going to settle in this low, low velocity habitat. Mm -hmm. So we've done that up there, but, and that's probably part of the reason that they haven't really, Establish huge populations all the way up into Minnesota already. Okay, so what can we as Missourians do to help you scientists with fighting this invasive species? Well, you know, it helps to get to know these these things that are that are problematic out there, but that takes a little bit of extra effort. And sometimes you you know sometimes you almost have to be a scientist to tell uh, a black carp from say a blue sucker or a, or a, you know a grass carp even if they're young. Mm. Um, so that's a tough thing to do. And if you do get black carp, I definitely want it. <laughs> I definitely want them. Um, but, uh, and there definitely is a hundred dollar reward for any fish, any black carp caught in Missouri or, or, uh, or any state that borders Illinois, but there's a hundred dollar reward. But something that, uh, almost everybody can do is if you're a boater, mm -hmm. um, it, or if you're a fisherman, for example, if you fish and you catch your own bait, don't move that bait from one place to another, you catch mm -hmm. your bait in the same body of water, you're going to fish with it because very often there can be another fish in there that looks like the minnows or whatever you're trying to catch. And you may not notice it being a, you know, you got a 50 fish in this bucket, you know, and there's, <laughs> there's looking down at the top of them. They all look a lot alike. Yeah. And, they all look like um, fish to yeah. me. So, yeah. So if you, some of those fish could be baby carp or some other invasive species. If we get big head and silver carp growing in Truman Reservoir, for example, Truman Reservoir has a remarkable crappie fishery. Mm -hmm. If that, you know, if we got big head and silver carp going going in there, that could be really bad. 
for the crappies. It'd also be really bad for people who like to water ski mm-hmm. because you're not going to be able to water ski anymore if the if the lake it's gets full of silver carp. With, yep. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it, and also it's just moving around at all. Uh, if you're in the Illinois River, you know that used to be a big mecca for bass fishermen, and now it's really not. Not because the bass aren't really there, because it hasn't really killed all the bass. Although it seems to be declining now, uh, but there's still some bass around. But people don't like to go there anymore because they're continually dodging carp. Yeah. And that's you know so that's a bad thing for the tourism for uh, people there. So anyway, the, what you can do as a as a boater as a fisherman is don't move these things around. Don't let them spread further. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a boater, clean, dry before you go to another place. Um, get if you drop your your trailer into the water and you get some vegetation on it, remove that vegetation. Then scrub your boat down, spray it off with hot water. Uh, a lot of the, um, I don't remember the actual temperature it has to get to, but if you've got a hot water sprayer to remove uh, zebra mussels, because our big lakes now, there's now zebra mussels in Lake of the Ozarks. There's zebra mussels in Truman now. And those things are you know do have an effect on your fishery. And they have effects on things like beachgoers because zebra mussel shells are really sharp. Oh, yeah. And, and so people go to the beach now and they get their feet cut up by zebra mussel shells. So, you know, don't move those things to new places. Um, so if you put your boat into any water because you don't really know what's in there, or even if you didn't think there was any zebra mussels in that particular body of water, well, they could have gotten in there since the last time. And you, now you take your boat to move it in a new place and those zebra mussels will go with it. So clean, drain, and dry. Drain all the water out of out of your live well. Um, if you have one of those boats that, um, ski boats that has a um, little extra water in it so that you make big waves, they have like bags of water in there, make sure that those are completely empty or that you put some kind of uh, like bleach into that bag or something to kill any organisms that are left in there because you don't want that water to get to the new place. Um, so everything's, Got to be clean, drained, and dried between facilities, uh, between water bodies, because otherwise you will move these things around. If you if you have bait, don't release the, your unused bait, especially if it's caught from the wild. Uh, and if you, even if you buy it, you know, just use the bait. If you don't uh, use it all, put it in trash. Don't mm-hmm. put it. Don't release. Uh, you know, minnows once you're done with them, just in case there's something out there. But uh, buy your bait from reputable dealers. And if you catch your own bait, use it in the same body of water. Do not take it with you to a reservoir, especially. Hmm. Okay, so I hope that was super interesting. I thought it was yeah. really fascinating. I learned a lot, especially because it's super related to, uh, like, where we are right now. Yes. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, this was Dwayne Chapman. from. He's the leader at the Invasive Carp Research at the USGS, Columbia Environmental Research Center. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today. All right. Thank you. And you're listening to The Big Electron on KCU Columbia, 88.1 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Big Electron. Thanks for listening. On KCU, 88.1 FM. Columbia. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we're back. Uh, with more invasive species yes. yeah. on this beautiful Sunday. <laughs> and Madeline has a beautiful example. Oh, of course. <laughs> I always have the best examples. Um, so today I would like to tell you about brown snakes in Guam. Um, what? Yeah. So 
apparently brown snakes were um, kind of invaded the island of Guam about 60 years ago, and they were wreaking havoc on their bird population, which is a big deal in Guam. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing there to really eat the snakes. And so you can see where you have a very yeah. um, robust they, invasive species problem. Did they Just, say how the brown snakes came in? Uh, I don't recall. Okay. I'm, I'm Sorry sure it's known, spot. but I do not know. Okay, fair. But what I do know is that um, in order to to address this issue, they came up with a really clever solution. So um, we were talking a little bit about like, it's kind of nice to have things that feed on other things, but mm-hmm. then what if those other things become bad themselves? Or um, uh, so so one of the things that snakes eat would be rats or mice. And but you don't want to just um, poison a bunch of mice and then let them loose in Guam because like what, what if it kills other things? Yeah, <laughs> all the other things that it could kill. Um, potentially, potentially, <laughs> you never know. But um, you just want to cause as little harm as possible. So um, the solution that the U.S. Navy came up with, <laughs> which is wonderful, yeah, yeah. Is, it was an eight eight million dollar program that uh, <laughs> they so they got all these dead mice. So you don't have to worry about, you know, them running around and, and wreaking havoc themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, they had, I don't know if they injected or gave the mice acetaminophen, which is <laughs> Tylenol. Yeah. You know, just no big deal in to us. But apparently that's to- toxic to the snakes. And so then it gets even better because their way of delivering these snakes, well, they're tree snakes. And so they wanted to get these tr- these um these poisoned mice into the trees. And so they designed, um, some people have described them kind of like uh, parachutes. Some people have described them more like streamers. And so I guess that it involves some sort of paper, um, string of paper that has all these dead mice on it, um, which you then drop from helicopters into the canopy of the trees. And the mice or the snakes find them and they eat them. And for whatever reason, acetaminophen, good old Tylenol, is toxic to the snakes. That's a great solution. Yeah, <laughs> It's much tidier than yeah. a lot of the solutions that um, we're able to come up with for some of these invasive species. So, yeah. Wow. I hope it worked. I haven't actually read about um, how effective the program was, but it's a very cool program. That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. Just all these little helicopters of or uh, parachutes of dead mice. Yeah. Sounds pretty crazy. Yeah, that sounds... And <laughs> like, thank goodness it's not poisoned mice because yeah. that sounds more terrifying to me. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's my contribution. My weird <laughs> contribution to Endangered Species Day. Well, I have I have one that it's more, um, more closer to home. Oh. Um, that, you know, you, you may think... It's so cute. It's actually water lettuce. What? So excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a species called Pistia estratiotis. It's oh, a plant, of course. Um, right. <laughs> now it all makes sense. <laughs> so it's this plant that, that kind of resembles. Uh, it's floating on, on water. So this is on water, um, and it's floating, and it, and it resembles like an open head of a lettuce. Okay. And the leaves are spongy. Um, and they are about 15 centimeters long, so about seven inches. But they're, uh, they have roots, and the roots are between 50 to 80 centimeters below the water. 
So, oh. so like that's like what two, three feet, mm-hmm. something like that. So, uh, they're kind of they're they're kind of big. Um, so, what what are these water lettuce? Um, you can Google it. They're actually they look cute. Um, <laughs> so they're native to tropical and subtropical lakes, um, but they have uh, spread over to the Great Lakes. Um, they've started invading. Um, that species, and it was mostly um, invasion because of increase in the winter water temperature uh, or the ability for the seeds to um, overwinter, like not be so sensitive hmm. to the winter temperatures mm-hmm. um, of the lake. Oh, I've so, seen these before. Um, yeah. So, what what do these what do these do? Um, so, what's what's the problem? Why are they um, why are they uh, invasive species well that's because they can clog waterways making fishing swimming and boating very difficult Uh, they can also block the air water interface which reduces the amount of oxygen in the water which is less makes less suitable for the fish to Mm. breathe Um, they can also block uh, animal access to water so like you know um, or plants to have other organisms. They've also been affected in Hawaii. Um, so most of them are in Great Lakes, but um, in Hawaii, they can also, the water lettuce can also choke uh, streams and ponds and they become troublesome to weed uh, in taro or rice fields. Okay. Um, so, you know, it impacts um, agriculture and in the life of, of other f- uh, fish. Um, the way they've tried to solve it, it's not as fancy as... <laughs> <laughs> they can't all be. Yeah. No, no. Basically, they just prohibited the species in Illinois, mm-hmm. um, but the surrounding area, so like Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, New York, uh, Wisconsin, are not... Um, they're not uh, prohibited. So hmm. that's that's where you can see that in there. Um, some of the research, you know, they've... as. Uh, Mr. Chapman was talking about they they do control techniques. Um, so they've been they've been uh, utilizing herbivores um, mm. to control mm-hmm. for for this. Um, they're also using uh, just mechanical chopping machines. Interesting. <laughs> okay. To remove the water lettuce from the water. Oh sure. Yeah. So like so a water combine or yeah, uh-huh. but tractor. <laughs> but it's sure. it's for for the water lettuce. I mean, you have like roots and stuff, yeah. so you could just chop it off. Um, or you can also do uh, some herbicides that that they add. But you hmm. know, you kind of don't want yeah, less ideal. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But um, and, and one of the issues too is that they cannot kill seeds. Hey, this is Tommy Wizzo, and you listen, Columbia, KCOU 88.1 FM. Hopefully you have a groovy time. <laughs> Hope you have a so, groovy yeah. time. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's a water lettuce. Very cool. So, my favorite invasive species <laughs> <laughs> is um, Pablo is uh, Pablo Escobar's hippopotamus. <laughs> so that's a ridiculous statement to make. But the uh, drug lord, the Colombian drug lord, <laughs> Pablo Escobar, Escobar had a zoo. In Colombia. In Colombia. Because he can. Because he can. He smuggled in many different animals, elephants, giraffes, um, a lot of exotic animals, but amongst them were four hippopotamus. Wow. Three females and one male. 
which escaped oh, no. <laughs> the zoo and have become an invasive species in the water in the waterways waterways of Colombia. Mm-hmm. So. When people see the hippopotamus, they want to go up and touch them. Oh, they no. think they're cute, but hippopotamus are an incredibly dangerous species. Yeah. So um, it's seen as a threat to the human population directly that they will, they're very aggressive. They will hurt you. Mm-hmm. But people have been bringing, bringing them home. Oh, they, no. They'll find a baby hippopotamus oh, and no. they'll bring oh. it home as a pet, which is incredibly <laughs> dangerous. Wow. Like that will take out yeah. the village. How can you not <laughs> see the, the writing on the wall with that one? Yeah. Maybe this is a bad idea. And the waterways are just perfect for hippopotamus. Mm. And since there were three female and one male, yeah. which mimics um, the conditions that hippopotamus like for reproduction, it just, they're spreading like wildfire. Mm. So we have, there's been a couple of solutions um, one of them is castration. Oh, but yeah. do you want to be the person to oh go up to all the hippopotamus <laughs> and deal with it? They're very sensitive to sedatives, okay. but you still have to give them a sedative. Yeah, you yeah. have to get close enough to do that. Um, <laughs> and it and- takes a little while. You know, anytime you dart an animal, it takes a little while for it to go down. So then you have to, yeah, r- run away while this angry <laughs> hippopotamus is waiting to fall asleep. Another solution is to just eat them. However, we don't know about diseases that <laughs> mm-hmm. hippopotamus meat carries because it's not a typical meat. Not FDA approved. Right. <laughs> um, and then also there is the idea of making hippo-proof fences, but oh. that in itself is seem, has seemed to be a challenge. Uh, yeah. And very think. cost prohibitive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just PSA, don't touch a hippopotamus. They're very <laughs> aggressive and definitely don't take one home with you. And when we say Colombia, we mean the country, not yes, the city. Yes, not Colombia, Missouri. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that so is a very important if you live in Colombia, hopefully, Missouri, there's, no, hopefully Missouri. there's no hippos here. Yeah, just just, just in, in, in the zoo. Which <laughs> they're cute there. You can see them there. but you Just know, don't no. touch them regardless. <laughs> just yeah. clear. Yeah. All right, well, with that, we close up on our show. This is The Big Electron. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam. I'm Madeline. And I'm Anahita. Thank you for subscribing, and please rate us on iTunes.